for financial independence. That is a topic that we actually, to my surprise, have not covered in this podcast. And that is what we're going to focus on today. So stay tuned. You did it. You have found your judgment-free zone, the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hemphill, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today. And now let's jump into today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, how is it going? I hope that this podcast finds you in good spirits. I appreciate you being here. This is Jen Hemphill, if you haven't figured it out, your host. Today we are covering a topic that to my surprise, in almost my five years of podcasting, we haven't touched. And that is a topic of FI or financial independence. I have invited a guest who is living FI or financially independent. His name is Brad Barrett. Now, Brad Barrett went on from being a full-time CPA to retiring with complete financial independence by the age of 35 through diligent savings and investing. Now, as co-host and co-founder of Choose FI, He's empowering others in their own pursuit of the financially independent lifestyle. In this episode, you're going to learn what exactly FI is and the difference between that and the FIRE movement, which stands for Financially Independent Retire Early. You're also going to learn what influenced Brad's path to FI, as well as what he has observed most amongst Latinos in the FI movement and his top three tips for someone considering FI. Lista, you ready? Let's go meet Brad and get our FI on. Okay, that was a little corny, but let's roll with it. Welcome. Bienvenido, Brad Barrett. I'm excited to talk to you. And we're talking about a topic that in over 200 episodes, I have not talked about. And it's financial independence. And that's a big movement. So I am really thrilled to have you here. That is really exciting. Well, first, thank you for having me. And second, uh, yeah, it's amazing to be talking about financial independence. If you found 200 plus episodes and haven't devoted one to five, I'm very honored. Yeah, I don't know how it hasn't happened, but there's so much to talk about when it comes to money and personal finance. And I wanted to start off with us getting to know you and your money story. So tell us a little bit about how you grew up, what you saw, what you experienced, and maybe some of the lessons you learned along the way. Yeah, that is a great question. I So I grew up kind of, I guess, middle class, you would say. My parents, my mom was an office manager. She worked for Weight Watchers actually growing up. So I remember her being a a leader at different meetings. And my father was a lawyer actually for the Long Island Railroad, but 
you know, his kind of dislike, I guess, for his job and basically hanging on until he got a pension was really a, a formative experience for me. I know just hearing your dad as you grow up, just like seemingly not hating his life. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but detesting his job so much and just doing it, you know, to get to this pension point of 30 years in like that, that seemed crazy to me to give away 30 years of, of time and happiness for something that, that really you spent 10 plus hours a day at. And, and obviously we're very thankful that he was able to provide for us, but it was very sad. And, you know, just kind of going back to my mom for a second, it, it really made me understand the power of community. I think that's something we've hit on in the, the Phi community, certainly, that there is power in group norms. There's power in support. And when you're all pursuing the same goals, it's extraordinary what can happen. And, and we've seen that, and I, I suspect we'll talk about this uh, in you know, this conversation, but we've seen that in the Phi community significantly, where really people don't talk about personal finance. Right. It's, it's a taboo topic. And I think by breaking down those barriers, by making it a norm that you can talk about finance, you can talk about the things that are going wrong in your financial life. Because frankly, Jen, like, I don't know about you, but I didn't learn anything about personal finance growing up. I mean, nothing. And we come out of college if, you know, if that's the path we take and all of a sudden you're making money and you have no idea what to do with it. Right. Like you never learned any of it. And. I think by making it that we can talk about it and what your podcast does, what our show does, by making this something that's accessible to people, I think that breaks down barriers and, and just makes it a lot easier for people. So if you want me to keep going on with any lessons, I'm happy to, but I don't want to keep talking endlessly. I wanted to you know, back up a little bit because you mentioned the power of support, the power of groups. And just and the accountability of being able to talk, maybe having some commonalities and being able to talk those out. And you said you kind of connected it to your mom. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, sorry for not being clear enough there. When she she has, uh, I guess, struggled with weight gain and weight loss over her life, and she worked for a company named Weight Watchers. And you know, you can go on a diet on your own. I suppose, and see what results you get. But I think what Weight Watchers hit on decades ago is that the power of groups and the power of community and the power of accountability, it just, it's essential. And she was a, I guess it's called a leader of these groups. And, you know, while it was a paid job, it was, it was support and she was providing support and the entire membership was providing support for each other to show up each and every week and say, you know, this is what's going on in my life and, you know, celebrate successes and where people have issues, you know, they work together to support themselves. So I've found that to be an interesting model, you know, even uh, of course, outside of the, the weight loss, I have no experience with that other than, you know, just seeing my mom. So I can't speak eloquently about it, unfortunately, but I've found that that support type of group works and you see it with, you know, groups like AA certainly. And, and, it is when you see something across different avenues in life and you see that model work successfully, you kind of say, okay, there's something here. And, you know, with my podcast, Choose FI, we actually started what we call Choose FI local groups. And it's kind of like this decentralized organization of, there are now, I think, 300 of them 
in 300 cities throughout the world Amazing. where, yeah, it's, it's wild. And, you know, people have these in real life meetups and they support each other. They I, even here, like in my local Richmond area, we share tools and we share other things. So, you know, you think about buying things that sit idle 99% of the time, but yet each house in a middle-class neighborhood has a ladder, has a lawnmower, has a leaf blower, like all these absurd things that you use for a couple days a year. If you have a true community of people sharing and having the same goals of pursuing financial freedom, financial independence, financial strength, whatever you want to call it, it changes the game. Right. So thanks for sharing that because I had a feeling it had to do with that. So I would guess that observation with your mom and the success that she had and the support that she had, did that influence you all creating those groups for Chusefi? Is that was that probably an influence of Yeah, I mean I, I, I suspect it's one of the influences that that led to that. I have had friends who are also been successful, like I said, in groups like AA and, and such. And you know, when I, I saw that work successfully, I realized like all right, the power of community is just so important. And also the power of story, right? And people's stories. Like you don't connect with experts, right? Like I don't hold myself out to be the expert of phi, right? Like nobody wants to listen to me pontificate as if I'm some worldwide genius. Like that's not me. That's not how I live my life. Like my life is an experiment. I'm trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. I'm just trying to live a better and happier life. And I think. When, you know, myself and my co-host, Jonathan, we approach Chooseify with that kind of beginner's mindset of like, obviously we know our stuff, right? Like I'm, I'm not being totally self-deprecating and silly here, but when you have a community of people who all have their little specialty or their life hack or that one thing they did to go to college for next to nothing or get a scholarship, like when we can all share that, it's a rising tide lifts all boats scenario, right? Like we all are enriched by having that network effect of having all these people in a community. So, you know, I find great power in that. I find great power in stories and, and I think it's proven very successful. Absolutely. Now let's go to your mom. You mentioned had that a success with that power community and your dad didn't. He was going to work because I think it's probably a money story of his. That that's what he was taught to do. You go to work to make money, to support your family and get a pension. And that's he was just following that and he didn't have that group where of looking at other ways to fulfill his life and reach those goals as well. Now let's fast forward. You had these observations and experiences growing up. Let's fast forward when you were an adult. So tell us a little bit about what your financial life looked like, what your perceptions of money, let's, let's take it to that time. Yeah. And I, I think I have a, a pretty interesting tie between seeing my dad struggle with that, that dislike of his job while doing an, an amazingly admirable job, obviously, of providing for our family, you know, with the beginning of my career as an accountant. So you know, I, I went to a good college. I graduated. I got my CPA license within a year. And I was working at one of the big, at that point, it was the big five public accounting firms. Okay. And I went to work for what was considered the best public accounting firm in the entire world, which was Arthur Anderson. Okay. And anybody who's a student of history at this point might remember 2001 and the Enron scandal. 
And what was amazing was basically some misdeeds by one particular office of Arthur Anderson led to the entire firm ceasing to exist nine months later. And, you know, I saw the impermanence of jobs. I think that was, there were so many lessons actually that I got on the job that first year that have really impacted my entire adult life and really my path to financial independence and, and made it a priority. So I saw the impermanence, right? I saw people who would work their entire lives, their entire careers to work at this amazing firm and become managers, senior managers, partners, and have it all go away in an instant. And you can extrapolate that to anything you want, right? Which is, and, and I'm not a doom and gloom type person at all, Jen. So please, I hope the audience is hearing me. Like I'm not a negative person, like, but I think it's important to understand reality, right? Is that even if you're a high performer at your job, there could be layoffs and you could be let go, right? Like, and for most people who aren't saving money, their lives are on a knife's edge, you know, where if you have no money in the bank and you lose your job, so you're cash flowing your life and you might even make a lot of money, that's fine. But if you spend it all, you have nothing in the bank, you have no safety net. So when the income dries up, your wonderful life, like I said, it's on that knife's edge and you can't pay bills, 30, 60, 90 days, what do you start losing? Your car, your house, like, I mean, this all falls apart. So I understood impermanence and I understood the need for stability and the need for savings. I, I think I also saw that at a lot of these firms, you know, investment banks and law firms and accounting firms and, and plenty of other careers, certainly too, there's always this carrot of becoming partner or some such, right? And it's, oh, you'll make $400,000, $800,000, whatever it may be, right? A million bucks. And that sounds amazing, right? To a 22-year-old kid, that sounds amazing. But I took a step back and I looked at the partners and I realized that on April 14th, when we were getting ready for you know tax return deadline, that they were there until two in the morning with me, the first year staff, you know, stapling tax returns to mail them out. And they were working 80-hour weeks. So sure, they were making a million dollars, but they didn't have a really great life. And, you know, Obviously, that's anecdotal for just the, the handful of partners that I knew, but, but it wasn't something that I aspired for in my life. And I think, you know, finally, the, the other lesson was just realizing that as you grow up, you and you go through school, you go through college, you have summers, you have breaks, you have, you know, time to live your life. Whereas in corporate life, corporate America, you're lucky if you can take more than a week off, right, of, of vacation. So, you bookend that with two weekends and you have nine calendar days. Just nine calendar days off. Long. Right? That goes quick. For most people, they're looking at a 40 or 50 year lifetime of working. Right? So, you know, all of those things kind of coalesced into, wow, I've got to do something different and I've got to do it quickly. So how long were you at the job? Yeah. So I was at the public accounting firm and, and doing those kind of crazy hours for about a little more than two years. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't terribly long in the scheme of things, but it was enough to realize that that wasn't what I wanted my life to look like. And work-life balance meant a lot more to me. So I actually wound up going to work for one of my clients and it was a nine to five and it was paid well. It was pretty close to home. Like I, I I gave up the upside of that huge potential salary for a better life. And that was a trade-off that, that I made. And I'm certainly not advocating that for all your listeners or for anybody else. You know, the beautiful thing about personal finance is it's intensely personal, right? Like we all have to make decisions. 
And whatever decision you make is perfectly fine by me. I'm sure it's perfectly fine by you. Like, but you have to go in with eyes wide open. I think so many people just kind of sleepwalk through life and they don't realize that like, just because everybody else is doing something, it doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't mean it's the right thing. You have to trust right? like, yourself yeah, as well. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. So I think the actual answer to your question is I ultimately had about 13 years in corporate America before I really got to the point of just about financial independence. And because I had created a, a website that was bringing in a tiny little bit of money, but, but enough with the money that I had saved up, I was able to leave that situation when basically, again, we're talking about like power and autonomy of having choices when you have money saved is there was some arbitrary thing going on at work where all of a sudden we needed the workday started at 8am instead of 830 for no reason. There was no additional productivity. There was nothing. It was just one of those BS FaceTime nonsense things that corporate America sometimes does. And, you know, the beautiful thing about being in a position of power is you don't really need to take that if you don't, if you don't want to. So, you know, that was kind of the, I didn't go out in a blaze of glory or anything insane like that. You know, I, that was the straw that broke the camel's back and I basically put in my resignation and that was that. Love it. Now you said 13 years, you were 13 years in corporate America. And until you reached financial independence, where within those 13 years where you're like really honed in and focused and saying, I want to become financially independent? Yeah. So I think when my wife and I undertook this, this path, this life journey, I, I don't think it was this grandiose, like, oh, we're going to retire when we're 34. Like it, it was nothing like that. It was just we had a conversation about priorities in our lives. And, you know, this was before this financial independence movement came about. It was, you know, before Mr. Money Mustache website existed, which is, uh, you know, that site was really what started this movement. And, and you know, sites and podcasts like ours have, have helped further it, certainly. But, you know, this was my wife, Laura, and I figuring this out on our own. But But it really started from living in a high cost of living area. So we're from Long Island, New York, which is a suburb of New York City. And, you know, like I said, my wife and I, we're both CPAs. We could have made a life there. We certainly could have made a living, but we realized that wasn't the life we wanted because we would always have to give something up. And really, you know, we were only 25, 26 at that point. We didn't have kids, but we knew we wanted kids. And, And it was important to us that Laura stay home with these kind of future fictional kids at that point. And, you know, we made the very tough decision to move from our home down to Richmond, Virginia, where it's dramatically less expensive to live. And, you know, again, I'm not advocating any particular financial move or, or anything being required to pursue financial independence for any of your listeners. But for me, that was a decision that we made in service of this larger goal, which is living a better life. So we would have always had to work nine to five and more for probably 50 years to afford to live in Long Island. And so that was the first one. And I guess, you know, along the way, I have to say, we, we never like kind of put the pedal to the metal. It was never like, okay, now we're really going to pursue Phi. It was just, we set up a framework of a life that just didn't cost that much. And it enabled this path pretty seamlessly. Like we never at any point felt like we were depriving ourselves. And I think that's really important. If you do get in that kind of deprivation mindset. Or extreme frugalism. Right. Right. I mean, you cannot do that for but so long because 
it feels like you're always living that deprivation or this short-termism. Like, okay, once I get through this period, well, then I can go crazy. (laughs) And I don't think that's a good way to go through life. You know, we talked about diets before. Like, I don't think going on any type of diet is the best method. I think making small habit changes. and, And I know in my own life, I've lost about 30 pounds in the last five or six years. I've gotten dramatically fitter than I ever was, even when I was like a high school soccer player. Like, I'm in the best shape of my life at 40. And it's not because I went on a diet. It's because I made a hundred little decisions that have made my health better. Okay. So I, I think that's kind of how I view the path to Phi also is for me, it's, you know, we don't value expensive cars. I drive a 2003 Honda Civic that's probably worth about 800 bucks. We actually recently moved, but for, for a very long time, we lived in an extremely inexpensive house that was about $1,000 to live in a four-bedroom house in the best part of the Richmond metro area because... Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. We were smart about it. And you know we don't spend a lot of money going out to eat or on fancy drinks at a bar for $10 plus tax and tip. And, like, and that's fine if you value that. But you have to know it and you have to, again, do it with eyes wide open, right? So it doesn't mean we don't ever do that. Of course we go out, right? But we don't value it because like my wife loves to cook at home and she's come up with a system that enables us to save time and money and eat healthier. So, you know, once you have that framework set up, then you can splurge on things like now we spend on CrossFit. My wife and I both go to CrossFit and that's not cheap, obviously, but that's money that we gladly spend because again, it's community, right? Jen, it comes back to community. We've talked about that over and over and it's accountability. So it's, it's interesting. I love that. And I love hearing your story because it wasn't an intentional move to financial independence, but it was really more about creating a life for you that you enjoy that fulfilled you as a family. And that's what I'm hearing and being and making smart financial choices along the way. Now, we never really define financial independence and we've talked about it. So what? how do you define financial independence and then how do you differentiate it by from the other movement, financial independence, retire early? Yeah, the FIRE movement, right? So FIRE is a really cute acronym and I think that's why you see it thrown about a lot. And, and, you know, in fairness, we, we use it also. We say the fire is spreading. It just, it rolls off the tongue, right? So I think the retire early aspect is a distraction personally. And I think that's why I very intentionally call it the FI movement or, or FI because financial independence is something that we can all aspire to. And, and I will define it in a minute, but it, it's having that control and power in your court and live life on your terms as opposed to somebody else. And, you know, again, the, the RE, the retire early, that it is such a distraction because frankly, many people don't want to retire. You know, they love their jobs. Like, so you're telling me I've got to retire early? Like, well, hell, I don't want to do that, right? Like, that's what a lot of people say. And so my, my response to that is do whatever you want with your time. That's the beautiful thing about being financially independent is you don't need to work for money anymore. It doesn't mean you don't have to work for money or you don't want to work for money or you're not going to spend your time doing something that happens to, as a byproduct, earn money, but it's not an imperative, 
right? So I think the, the loose definition of financial independence is it's based off of your yearly expenses. Okay. So, you know, for most of us, if we earn some income, obviously we pay taxes and we have savings. If you're ever going to get to a point where you can become financially independent or, you know, just be solvent, you need to have savings, right? So you take your income and then you subtract out all of that and you get your yearly expenses, right? That's what you're actually spending your money on. It's a real simple equation. So what we do is we, instead of starting as many financial calculators do and starting at income, we start at expenses because I think that's a much more accurate thing. To be financially independent, you have to cover those expenses every year, right? So the back of the envelope math for it is if you have 25 times those expenses saved up, then you can consider yourself financially independent. Now, for argument's sake, like our yearly expenses are around $40,000. You know, again, we live in a low cost of living area. Obviously, anybody in DC or New York or San Francisco, you know, they're like spitting up their Cheerios right now, right? But like for us, you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But when you have, when your mortgage is $1,000 and you know, you don't have car payments and your food bill is well under a thousand. Like even when you, you know, travel and do other fun stuff, like you can keep them. Like that's not an absurd amount of money for a lot of people. So again, just back of the envelope math, take that 40,000, multiply by 25. That's a round million dollars. Okay. And if you have a million dollars saved up in your net worth, then that kind of meets the loose definition. And now that's a whole nother podcast, Jen. So we're not going to legislate that. We keep it simple here. I love that loose definition. And I love how you compared the two because I agree with you about the fire and it just being a distraction. And over time, in seeing both communities, both movements uh, evolve, I have observed, I'm sure like you have, people that have been in the fire movement and quote unquote retired early that have gotten back to working, right? And the thing with, I think that I, the problem, or it's not a problem because I respect people, you know, and their decisions, but I guess the issue that I have is that it creates this shame eventually that, well, maybe I do want to go back to work or circumstances change and, or your priorities change and you just want to work or something happened and maybe you calculated wrong and maybe you really didn't have enough money. There's that brings a lot of shame and guilt. And that's no fun because then that's the issue that I have. Right. And who wants to fail at their goal? Right. Which is silly. Like you can't fail on the path to financial independence. You, you just can't because honestly, the power and the value of this starts accruing from day one, no matter where you are. If you're at zero dollars of net worth, if you're at negative $50,000 of net worth, right? Like getting on a path where you're increasing your savings rate, right? Where you're looking at what am I spending money on? What do I actually value? Do I value what I spend on more than my freedom ultimately and more than my time, right? So clearly like there are things that I spend money on that I really liked, but I didn't like them more than having time to get my kids off the bus at three o'clock every single day in my life, run home and play board games with them, right? Isn't it amazing when you think about it? Like when you reframe it like that, you're not depriving yourself from the little knickknacks and the new iPhone and the other BS. You're buying the most valuable thing you possibly can, which is time. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, again, when you reframe it like that, and, and like I was saying, if you're at $0 in the bank, 
and you're living on that knife's edge, the first time you have $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 in the bank, your life is dramatically better, dramatically less stressed. And because if something happens, if you get a flat tire that's 200 bucks or something like that, that's not a crisis. It's just not. So again, you can't fail on the path to financial independence. I don't care if you don't ever get to that definition. If you have, if you're doing that for 20, 30 years and you have 50, 100, $300,000 of net worth, your life is dramatically better. So there's no failing in that. I love that. I love that. Now you co-host the podcast Choose FI and you have spoken to a ton of people in the community. You've seen it evolve. What observations have you made in the five movement more specific to the Latino community? What have you seen? Yeah, that is a great question. I, I think how the five movement was initially observed was that it was for a very exclusive group of, you know, let's say white males in their 20s and 30s who worked in tech job. And that was the caricature. And I think a lot of the the original kind of famous bloggers fit a similar build to that. And it almost seemed exclusive. It seemed exclusionary maybe, right? And I think what we've seen now is that this is a worldwide movement for everybody. And We've observed in our community that I think we have a we have a Facebook group of about sixty thousand people, and it's a majority women. So again, that caricature was Love it. you know it's right. It's amazing. It's I think fifty four percent women. We see people from every community, from every state, from hundreds of different countries, everywhere in the world. This is for everybody, and I think that's the beautiful thing is that it doesn't feel like a closed door anymore. And I think people understand the value of community. And, you know, if you have strong ties, you know, let's say in your local community, you know, if, if we're talking specifically about the Latino community, if it, again, it breaks down those barriers of not being able to talk about things, right? There's something very accessible about this. I hope, you know, your audience can hear it in my voice. Well, I think, you and, and John, you both have crea- made it more accessible with the community that you have, because I have seen uh, more Latinos that are working, especially on social media, that that's what they, they're talking about, working towards FI, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it, because all we need is, like you mentioned, community and an example of someone that, again, to the story, right? that you can connect with. And so I applaud you and and John for really creating that community because I think it has opened up the doors and the possibilities to others. Well, thank you sincerely. I really appreciate that. And and yeah, we are always trying to bring stories of individuals, you know, to the podcast and and also questions from different communities like, you know, things that obviously I am a white male living in Richmond, Virginia. I don't have the breadth of experience that you know, people do. That's the, again, going back to rising tide, right? And talking about individual stories. Like if there are things that I'm just unaware of, the beautiful thing is I don't hold myself out as, as the worldwide expert. Like I want to learn. I have just this, this yearning to understand and to connect with people. And I think when you go into a conversation with genuine curiosity, I think people understand that and they feel it. And, you know, 
again, there are things that I just was unaware of. I think we are having a guest uh, come on to our podcast fairly shortly from, uh, he's of Korean descent. And he was telling me that in his community, taking care of your elders is extraordinarily important. And I believe there are similar aspects in the Latino community, right? And, you know, while this gentleman isn't obviously Latino, he's Korean, I think there are so many similarities that that story people can connect to, right? And, and again, that's just something that I was totally unaware of. And it wasn't that I had blinders. I just didn't know. And so finding these questions, finding these stories and sharing them, I think it makes me a better person. I think it helps the community and it connects people to others better and more, you know, more quickly. It's just, it's really wonderful. Is there anyone in the community that's Latino that has stuck out for you? Yeah, definitely. I, I know one person jumps out to me just right off the top of my head. And, and I'm sorry, I don't have like an encyclopedic knowledge of, of my own, uh, even my own podcast at this point, which is kind of embarrassing. But Juan from financeclever.com has been someone who's just been really, really helpful to us and to the community generally. I know he was born in Colombia. Colombiano. I'm nice, nice, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, so he's someone I would highly, highly recommend you having on the podcast. And, you know, everyone check out his website. I think he provides financial coaching. Actually, he wound up helping one of my friends with money coaching. So, yeah, he's someone who jumps out right off the bat to me. I probably could get you an entire list of people. Again, this is my bad memory, not a a lack. Well, you have a huge community. I wasn't expecting you. Can you reel off the names of the 60,000 plus people on Facebook, <laughs> your Facebook community? No? No. Oh, goodness. No, I'm kidding. No, this is wonderful. And I'm glad that to see that it's growing. I'm glad to see more Latinos really getting involved in that community as well. Now, what would you say? You've, you've already given us some fantastic tips about financial independence, like there's no way of, you know, no perfect way of doing this, those type of things. But for the person that's at this very moment is listening to this, what would you say are your top three tips for her? Top three. That's hard to call it down. What a great question. I think first, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously already are thinking about money. But I think there's a difference between taking in content whether it's your podcast, my podcast, reading blogs, and taking action. And I think taking action is the key to success in life. So kind of all of my tips are tied around that, which is you might have some of this knowledge, but you have to put it into action. So take the first step. Maybe you never have. Maybe you don't know what your monthly expenses are. Get it on paper. Sign up for Mint or YNAB or something like that. Just put it in Excel, write it in, write it in a, a, I don't know, a piece of paper, whatever it may be, and just get an understanding of where you are. I know it might be hard, but get an understanding of where you are. And then from there, look at what you're spending money on and what do you value? Are you doing this because, oh, that's what everybody else spends money on or, oh, what my neighbors did or keeping up with whoever it is. That's not really good enough anymore, right? You need to have some savings. You need to create that space. And you need to continue to increase that savings rate because I can tell you getting to this point of financial independence, it changes everything. So getting up off the couch, taking action, being honest with yourself of, all right, you might've made mistakes in the past. That's fine. I've made 
catastrophic mistakes. I mean, Jen, I'm still talking like I still make mistakes all the time. It's okay. all the time. There are no perfect people. None. They don't exist. But what you have to do is say, all right, that decision has been made. I'm going to do the best I can moving forward. And forgive yourself. It's okay. Pick yourself back up again and move. <laughs> Agreed wholeheartedly. So yeah, I mean, it would be, it would be that. And it would be, you know, kind of get a plan and figure out like, what does this look like? What do I want my life to look like in the future? And what do I have to do to get there? Love it. Well, this has been fantastic, Brad. I have really enjoyed talking to you, getting to know you and more about the FI movement, the financial independence movement, learning about your tips and how it's evolved over the years. So thank you so much, Brad, for joining us and and sharing in the conversation today. Yeah, I really, really appreciate the invite. And yeah, this was a lot of fun. ¿Qué te pareció? I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Brad. I know I personally found his insight very informative. You can connect with him over at choosefi.com. I will have the link in today's show notes. And he recommended you start with episode 100. They've got a ton of episodes on their podcast. So that's the one that he recommended you start with. The Reina of the Week is Rita, who had recently an aha moment of just being observant of the thoughts running through her mind. She feels like she's being held back or she's holding herself back on investing and became observant on a particular recurring thought that says investing is gambling. When I challenged her to dig further, she connected this to a past money story where she grew an aversion towards gambling from her family's trips to casinos. And she feels like she heard from time and time again that the conversations that the family members had were saying that everyone gambles, especially on Wall Street. So if you think about that, when you have and you hear a conversation like that, that has an impact on you for a long time until you realize what kind of an impact it has on you. So chances are that hearing everyone gambles, especially on Wall Street, led her to believe that investing is also a gamble. Well, technically it's a risk. So I'm not going to get into what the difference are between gambling and investing, but she attributed to that. So when she had that aha moment to realize where it came from. So I always challenge you, and I've done this on the podcast and when in my coaching with my clients that you may be listening, so it's a reminder, is that you need to be aware of those thoughts that are running through your mind. Because chances are, you, and you, and you want to be able to question those thoughts, what they are and where they are coming from. And when you explore that and dig deeper, you are able to have a better understanding on why those thoughts are happening and where exactly it's coming from so you can change and be effective in changing those thoughts. So congrats, Rita. I love that you had that aha moment in your life. This month, if you haven't noticed, if you haven't been on Instagram, we are focusing on resilience. And a part of resilience is really having an understanding of those thoughts like Rita had and really knowing where they're coming from. So for example, if you are struggling 
and understanding what the thoughts that are coming through your mind in terms of money and connecting them with your money story, make sure you check out the post on IG at Her Dinetto Matters. But I also have a worksheet that will help you in just really reactivating those resilient muscles that will really help you think through those thoughts and connecting them to a past money story. It is called the My Daily Money Ritual, and it will help you hone in on what you need to focus on in your financial life, which for you, if you, if this resonates with you in terms of the thoughts, this may be it, focusing on catching those thoughts and figuring out where they're coming from. You can grab this worksheet over at jenhempel.com forward slash ritual, or you can check out the Her Dinero Matters Lounge, which is the collection that's available for you of free and paid resources. That is over at jenhempel.com forward slash the lounge. Next week, we get to meet Omaira Jimenez, who shares with us how she turned her life around from a toxic relationship to a thriving life. That is it. Eso es todo. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You can check out the brief show notes over at jenhempel.com forward slash 210 to refer back to everything you need from the show. Now, I want to remind you to claim your reina crown. You don't have to wait. And that choice of claiming it is in your hands. Becoming the reign of your money can start now. You've got this, tu puedes, and I'm sending you abrazos through this mic. So I hope you are waiting and receiving it. <laughs> also share with us when you listen to this episode by taking a screenshot or a selfie and tag us in your Instagram stories with at her dinero matters and the hashtag her dinero matters. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. I will talk to you next Thursday. Ciao.